talking to you today about community. Uh, community is a big deal for me because uh, of a number of personal reasons. One, I just enjoy it. But two, I come from broken community. Um, you know, in my family, we had a lot of dysfunction. Uh, some of you know my story. And uh, my, my family had a lot of fragmented relationships. There was just a lot of brokenness. And uh, really, I began to value the community that I found outside of my family, but I also found brokenness in that community. And eventually I gave my life to Christ and got connected with a, a local church and, and even found challenges in that community. And then I found myself at Northwood Church and now we've got perfect community, of course, perfect community. Nothing could ever be wrong with our, that's not completely true. No, we, we are a bunch of people who, who love God and, and love one another. But at the same time, we all have challenges in living with what we like to call Christ-centered communities. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. In Genesis chapter 2, we know that God says it's not good for man to be alone. So we see that he has a plan for us to live in community with one another. Um, we also know that God is in of in and of himself communal. See, God's character and his nature, he's the triune God. He's, he's one God, yet three distinct persons. Uh, so there's this, there's this um, community within himself even, and then he wants to commune with this created beings. He wants to commune with us. Uh, so, you know, it's really important that we understand God's plan for community. But first, I want to give you a definition for community that comes straight out of Google. No big deal. Not some biblical, like, earth-shattering definition or anything like that. But it's simple. It's a group of people living in the same place with a feeling of fellowship as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. I know a lot of you might share common attitudes, interests, and goals. And if you take that word community and you break it up, it says common unity. And you have common unity around those things. But for a Christ-centered community, this is a distinction. Uh, the things that we rally around, that, that we share common interests in, those goals and values and, and whatnot, they, they really need to be centered on the person and work of Jesus in our lives. And that's what makes us a Christ-centered community. Now, it didn't take long after God had created Adam and Eve. We've got this perfect uh, uh, community, a husband and a wife. It's beautiful. Uh, there's no sin. There's no arguments, right? There's, there's, there's no, none of those things that come along with the challenges of marriage yet. And, uh, and then all of a the sudden, they're, attempt, they're, they're distracted by something. They're distracted by the enemy. Uh, Satan himself comes into the garden, tempts them with a, a kind of knowledge that God didn't want them to have. Uh, it's an acknowledge that would... Uh, uh, maybe unintentionally in their eyes, exalt themselves to the level of God and, and really place a lot of the focus on them instead of God. And all of a sudden, when they gave themselves to that, sin entered the world. Sin entered their relationship. And what was a perfect union, now we see accusation between husband and wife. We see brokenness in their family even. Their, their son Cain wound up killing his brother Abel. And since then, all kinds of brokenness has, we see all throughout the scriptures and, and even in our society today, we see brokenness in relationships. There's broken marriages. There's loneliness at an, uh, uh, what most would consider an epidemic proportion. The statistics say that there's more people that consider themselves lonely now than they've ever been able to record before. And, uh, and neighbors struggle knowing how to be neighborly. You know, there's a lot of dysfunction. And I think that it's important for us to examine what it means for us to be Christ-centered in our community. And the best place to do that really is to look at the person of Jesus. So 
Jesus, he placed extremely high value on community. We know that he was part of a community as a, as a boy and a young man, but then we see the type of community that he was creating around himself as an adult uh, when he started his ministry. And, you know, he lived with this group of people for, for three years and he served them and served with them and he taught them and he, he prayed with them and he led them and he was with them. And really, he wanted to give them a perspective on, on kingdom-mindedness. I think that was a really big emphasis of his. And ultimately, that would cause them to know him and to put their trust in him that would lead to their salvation and that they would then carry that to their communities. And Jesus, you know, he was walking with them. But today, we don't have the privilege or the opportunity to walk with Jesus in quite the same way. He's not here in the flesh. So how does Jesus engage us now? Well, he engages us through his word and through his spirit. And we worship in spirit and truth. Now in John 16, 7, we can see where Jesus started talking about, well, hey, I'm not going to be here, but I'm going to help you with that. And he says this, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper or the advocate, the Holy Spirit, right, his spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And that's one of the first places where we really see that now the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus's spirit is the catalyst for Christ-centered community. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but, but you were really drawn here by the spirit of God. You know, sometimes we feel like we're kind of living very practically and we're making decisions. You're brushing your teeth and putting on clothes and choosing to get in the car at a certain time and getting the kids all packed up. But, but at the end of the day, man, God's drawing you. And, and we know that that's how the Spirit's engaging us now. Now, Jesus radically affected the shift in the way we engage God and one another through his Spirit. And, and we're going to see that. Um, he's, he's, we're we're going to read some Scripture. And in this narrative of Scripture, we're going to see that Jesus was getting ready to ascend and uh, go be at the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns from right now. I mean, that's, that's his, his heavenly throne. And, and we know that he is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession on behalf of us. He's, he's there praying for us. All authority under heaven and earth has been given to him. This is a, a really amazing thing. And he's getting ready to go to that place. And he gives his disciples some final words. And he says in this historical account in the book of Acts, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. That means you'll be people that will testify of all the things I told you, of the good news that I have brought and proclaimed and not only proclaimed, but fulfilled. You're going to go and tell the world in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, including communities like the ones here that we serve in South Mississippi. You know, he was then lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus went ghost on him. You know, in Jesus' fashion, I don't think it was magic. It was the power of God that lifted him out of there. There was no smoke and mirrors or any tricks or sleight of hand or anything like that. And his disciples said, hey, I guess we need to wait now. Jesus said he's got something coming for us, so we're going to wait. And they go and wait. So they're waiting, and on the day of Pentecost, that day arrived, and they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The presence and power of God came into the place, overwhelmed them. There's joy. They're celebrating. They're, they're, a lot of things are going on. If you read the text, you'll see what happened. And uh, really what was happening in Jerusalem at the time was a bunch of Jews had gathered in Jerusalem to be there for the Feast of Pentecost, the culmination of this harvest season. All of a sudden, their attention is turned from their own party to this new party. The Holy Spirit it's got this party going and, and things are popping off. And the Jews have um, given their attention to these people. And, and Peter, Peter, who not long ago denied Christ, he denied Christ in front of a little girl. 
He was, she asked, are, are you one of his followers? Or are you with this Jesus? And he, he denies her three times. And here he is now filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with joy, filled with excitement, here with this audience of people. And he begins to preach the gospel. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he preaches from the ancient messianic texts, the word of God. And this is what he preached. He preached the perfect, the sinless life of Jesus. He said, Jesus came and fulfilled your law. He fulfilled the law that you've been trying to fulfill and you've not been able to. He lived perfectly. And then in his perfection, he went on the cross and he died and, and his perfect blood spilled out and paid the penalty and satisfied the wrath of God for your own sinfulness. This is what he's basically telling those people. He was buried and then he resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus did. And, and then he goes and he tells the people, you crucified him, you lawless people. How do you like that for a, a, a quote for Instagram? What do you think about that? You did this. I'm standing here reading the word, but ultimately that same truth is true for you and me. We did it to Christ. We didn't maybe put the nails in his hands or his feet. We didn't maybe, maybe yell crucify him while standing there in the courtroom or, or at the cross, but our sinfulness required that Jesus would go on the cross. Our sinfulness today and even our, our continued future sinfulness because we will continue to make mistakes and those things are what put him on the cross. But it's those things that he went on the cross for to pay for, to be able to offer us the forgiveness of our sin to where he could pour his grace out on us. And as they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That, would, that means they were deeply convicted. You know, it's like my salvation story. I, I was with a friend and, and he preached the gospel to me for a number of years. And uh, one day, I guess this was the day the Lord desired for me to give my life to him. He brought a CD out. I was getting ready to pass out on his living room floor. And uh, he comes running out and he put the CD on. I said, man, like, I, don't, I don't need to hear any more of this, bro. I said, whatever, if, 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 if you'll let me go to sleep, I'll put the CD on. So it's a man's testimony. He's testifying through the scriptures about the conviction that came into his life in regards to his need for a savior. And it was a teaching about David and Goliath and this idea that, that I had heard this before, David and Goliath. I mean, even if you didn't really grow up in church, you, you might've heard of David and Goliath. And, and, and usually you're thinking, oh yeah, God wants to make us David and so that we can slay the giants and we're gonna sling a little rock at that great giant and that giant's gonna fall and we're gonna have the victory. And, and that's the way that I might've thought that he was gonna approach it and he didn't. He approached it this way. He said, no, nah, you're Israel and you need a redeemer. And like God sent David as a redeemer for Israel, God sent Jesus as a redeemer for you. And I was cut to the heart and I bowed my knees right there and I gave my life to Christ because I was deeply convicted about what I'd learned about Christ, about what he had done for me and why I needed him to do it. And that's what was happening here. And that's really the first characteristic of Christ-centered community. Members of Christ-centered community are born again of the spirit of Jesus. Now this is a, a deep conviction about the gospel being foundational to their lives. It's not good enough to really just say, hey man, I, I went to Northwood Church and it was amazing. And man, I feel like God's just amazing and you really need to come to church with me. They've got coffee, they've, they've, got, they've got great music and it's incredible. You just need to, 
that's not enough. That's like inviting somebody to a club and say, hey, come check out this club. I, there's a lot of places I've been invited to that sound just like that. There's a great breakfast joint down the, down the street that serves wonderful coffee. This is not about a Sunday morning experience. This is about us being deeply convicted of our own sinfulness and our need for Jesus and his love for us and that in his great love, God provided a way for us to be forgiven of our own sin. And there's a belief of that. These regenerated believers here in the New Testament church, they didn't only experience the presence of God, they didn't only get the feels, but they knew and believed that what was being taught to them about Jesus, it, it, it sealed on their hearts the truth of the gospel, and they began to worship in spirit and truth. In verse 41, we see it says, those who received his word or who, who really believed the gospel, they were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So how did Jesus affect the lives of these 3,000 souls? Because I think that's a big part of the question. And ultimately, as we learn how he affected their lives, the, the change that was produced in their life, we're going to see how that can apply to our own lives. And before I get into these other scriptures, I want to let you know there's a few things that would be helpful to think about. One, uh, there's a lot more to be said about Christ in our community. I'm really just scratching the surface. These are just a few things. I think they're vital. Uh, two, after this event, in the New Testament at Pentecost, we see teaching continuously about these things. So it's not just, hey, this was good for then, but it's still good for today. We're still taught to approach things this way. Uh, three, I, I know that you might have a tendency to hear like, like I'm maybe giving you a list of do's and don'ts and you could start thinking like, hey man, that's a little legalistic and this is not legalism. What, what I'm about to share with you, the, the things I'm, I'm asking you to consider about what the word's presenting to us and how it's going to confront us, it's, it's not something that we do in order to earn God's favor or acceptance. That would be legalism. That would be self-righteousness. This is something we do in response to what God has done for us because God's poured his love and mercy out on us, we then do this. Acts chapter two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The second characteristic of Christ-centered community that I really want you to take note of is that members of a Christ-centered community are devoted to the things of God. So that word devotion is, comes from the Greek word proskiterio and uh, it means to attend to constantly or to persist in something or, or to persevere. So what were they devoting themselves to or attending to constantly? Well, it just outlined it in the scripture. They devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching, to the doctrine. We know that Jesus is the word of God, but not only is Jesus the word of God, but Jesus came in the form of, of humanity and dwelt amongst men. The word came and dwelt with men. And then Jesus used the word of God to defend himself against the temptation and lies of the enemy. He used the word of God to teach. He, he relied on the word of God. He said, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he really elevated the importance of the word. He even told us in the Great Commission that when we would go and make disciples and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that we would then also teach them to obey what he commanded, that we would teach him his instruct, them his instructions. And in a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, uh, Paul was a New Testament church leader. He basically said, it's the leadership of the church's responsibility to proclaim, admonish, and teach you to present you mature in Christ. And I want to take a second real quick to talk to you about what that looks like 
in a, in a church context. Um, God has given us a lead pastor in Pastor Jordan, a man who I've come to admire more and more day by day over the years. And, and, and I just want to let you know that as, as the person that God has given charge over this fellowship, over this body of believers uh, to lead us and to present us mature in Christ, we have a responsibility to allow him to do that to proclaim the gospel, to admonish and lift us up and to teach us the word. And I know that we like to feed on a lot of different people out there and, and, and we look at a lot of different, um, you know, teachers and preachers that are on the internet and stuff like that. And, and that's good. Diversity is cool. That's nice. But if you're part of this local body, man, I want to challenge you to lean into what God is leading Pastor Jordan to lead us in. Because that's the area where I'm convinced that God wants to do the most maturing in our lives. But we have to allow him to do that. So he teaches. Paul was teaching. The, the apostles are teaching. And then what do the people who are being taught do? They teach others. He says later in the lesson, let the, uh, in the letter to the church of Colossae, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Why? Well, to continue maturing one another in Christ ultimately. But not only that, our hearts are prone to wander. We forget things. We're holy people, right? You're like, yes, I'm holy. God, Jesus has made me holy. Part of his royal priesthood set apart. Amen. Really what I'm saying is you have holes all over you like a bucket with holes in it that can't hold water. And when we pour the gospel into that bucket, it has a tendency to leak out. Me, I leak. <laughs> Sounds so weird. I haven't said that publicly yet. <laughs> What's that? That's the Instagram quote. I leak. Catch this smile too, because it, it needs to be funny when it's said. <laughs> we leak, and we need to be continuously reminded of the gospel. We do. But then... Also, we need to teach others. And there's some places here at Northwood Church where we can teach in our kids' ministry. Man, if you're not serving somewhere, I want to encourage you to get involved in our kids' ministry where we create environments where the gospel's being taught in one of the most simplest ways so that you can learn how to simply present this, this, this truth of, of Jesus. Um, not only that, but the kids' ministry could really use your support, your investment. We do small groups here at this church. I'm going to share a little bit more about that at the end of this. But that's a great opportunity for you to be able to maybe, maybe learn to teach or to begin to teach. But I want to really highlight one that is really important to me as a, as a young parent. I think one of the most important places where we can teach is at the dinner table where we're gathered with our family or at the edge of our children's bed where we're gathered with our children before they're getting ready to lay down for bed and, and we talk to them about the truth of God and we help them get a biblical worldview and we, and we talk about how much Jesus loves them and what Jesus says about them and, and we teach them. I believe it's vital that we do that. I, I've been working with kids and youth for a long time and I've seen a lot of kids and youth come and go. And, and when I tell you this, I want you to know my heart breaks in this area, but I, you need to know, I've seen a lot of young people come through this church and leave, not because of the church's fault, malnourished. They lack wor the word. They lack understanding who God is, what the word says about them, what the word says about their identity in Christ. And they go off into the world and they lose themselves in the world. 
And it's our responsibility as parents to help anchor our children in the truth of the gospel and who God says they are so that they can cling to their faith when they come out from underneath of your covering. And that is your responsibility, parents. We want to partner with you, but you hold the primary responsibility in that area. And I just want to, I want to just point to that for just a moment. I'm convicted by this. So that's, that's a, a challenge for some of us, I think, though, because sometimes I, I know that maybe for some of us, like the first part of that scripture says, where we're supposed to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, maybe it doesn't. Maybe, maybe, maybe we lack the word ourselves. Maybe we're a bit malnourished. And this would be a great time to lean into this and, and begin to feed on the word so that you can not only grow and mature yourself, but so that you can help your family do the same. The second characteristic I want to look at is that they devoted themselves to fellowship. Jesus spent his life with people. He spent his life with sinners and saints, gave his, a lot of time to his, his followers, the, the disciples, and he was stirring them to love and good works. And we see in the book of Hebrews that uh, we're instructed to do the same, to let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as, to say, as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. Now, we miss a lot of opportunities, and I think for different reasons. Some of our reasons might be, you know, completely innocent. We're like, man, you know, I'm a little insecure to engage in relationships. I, I can understand. Uh, maybe there's some fear associated with relationships. Maybe you've been hurt before, and, and you're like, man, I don't know if I want to lean into that kind of relationship. Or, or maybe you're just concerned that you're going to get found out in the season of life that you're in. Maybe there's, maybe there's a lack of re repentance or maybe you don't seem to be aligning with what God says a Christian should look like and you feel insecure about letting yourself be, be put out there on front street in front of other people. I just want to let you know that this is a safe place to lean into people. Nobody's judging you. Nobody's trying to critique where you're at in your walk. People just want to serve you. People just want to know you. And if we can, if we can, if we can look at people that way and, and just say, hey man, I'm going to trust that this person is just interested in me, then we can let some of those fears and anxieties go and we can begin to lean in. We can begin to, begin to even get healing in those areas. You know, I, I think sometimes our pace of life keeps us from being able to fellowship. I've seen a number of you guys come in late and leave a little early. It's happened a time or two. And I know maybe we're just trying to beat the, the traffic there's like South Mississippi has a crazy rush hour around here. <laughs> crazy rush hour. And then you've got, you know, reservations at um, Zaxby's and <laughs> you, you can't miss those. But there's important things happening when we gather and we fellowship. When you leave in the middle of that altar call and that prayer, that's a time when, when somebody is surrendering their life to Jesus. That would be a great time for you to join us as Christ in our community and lift that person up in prayer. That'd be a great time for us to, to stick around and, and celebrate about what God's done in that person's life. And then maybe even if you'd stick around, you could get to know a couple people around here. It's so vital that we fellowship with one another. You know, the New Testament church had an urgency to do it. It said they did it all the more as the day of the Lord drew near. There was this urgency. Christ is returning. He's coming for his bride. And, and we want to gather. We've got to be very careful that we don't let our pace of life, maybe the motivations of our heart, maybe we're interested in other things before we're interested in this, fears, anxieties, we've got to be very careful not to let those things control us and that we would lean into the fellowship that God has provided for us here. Three, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, Jesus, two months earlier, we know that he was sitting at the Lord at the uh, dinner table and uh, he 
gave his disciples something called really the, the Lord's Supper, this communion. He said, do this, drink of this cup and eat of this bread in remembrance of me. And, and they devoted themselves to continuing in that. But, you know, we think about breaking bread, sometimes just gathering around the table with some chicken and biscuits. And, and that's cool. You know, hey, that's, that's my flow. You know, if, if you ever want to take me to lunch or Amy to lunch, I'm, I'm just saying we're a cheap date. Popeye's is, is legit. We're good with that. Um, but whether it's Popeye's or it's the Lord's Supper and we're gathering around the communion elements, either way, my heart is to do that in remembrance. I'm giving thanks for chicken and biscuits, but I'm more importantly than giving thanks for my daily bread, I'm giving thanks for the bread of life that Jesus gave himself for me and, and that I have redemption in him. When we gather around the communion elements, that's what we're doing. We're, we're being re-anchored and we're declaring Jesus is our salvation. He is the grace and the hope that we have. He is everything we could ever hope for and desire. And when we confess things like that, when we, when we declare the authority of God, of Jesus over our own lives, principalities and powers of the darkness, the enemy, the devil himself, he cannot reign in that place. So when we talk about that song that we sung, like, hey, man, the Lord has made a, a, a table for us amongst our enemies. I think this might be the table he's talking about where we warfare against the enemy by reminding ourselves who Christ is and what he accomplished and engaging in communion with one another. That's an incredible way to wage war. And I even think you can do that at the dinner table with your family. I think you can. And then you can eat your biscuits. Who puts honey on their biscuits? Any honey people on the biscuits? Half the room. That's about half the room. That was a, that's pretty good. That's a lot of honey. I just, I just eat the top of the biscuit and the bottom of the biscuit. I'll even give you the middle of the biscuit. I just need the top and the bottom. It's all, sorry about that. I'm starving. So they devoted themselves to prayers. <laughs> Jesus prayed very often. We see in John chapter 17, his high priestly prayer, one of the best examples of how he prayed for, for, for the church, for the community of believers. He said, Lord, let them be one with one another as they're one with me, as I am one with you. This is a prayer really for Christ-centered community. And it seems obvious that we would pray. It's, it's very, very clearly communicated in, in, a, in a gathering like this that we should be prayerful people. But a lot of times we're not. A lot of times we miss it. And I get around guys from time to time that, that I think have a desire to pray, but struggle to do so. Maybe it's a misunderstanding of prayer. Maybe it's an, in, you know, an insecurity about praying. Or maybe they just don't pray personally and don't have much prayer in them. I, I'm not sure what it is, but I know that this is an area that we need to grow. When Christ-centered community prays with and for one another, lives are changed. And ultimately, we get the heart of the Father. He doesn't just change our circumstances. We don't just pray and God changes our, our situation. We pray and he changes us. He changes our hearts. So, you know, we create these environments called Prayer and Worship Wednesdays. We're going to be having one this Wednesday. I know it's July 4th on Thursday, but that doesn't mean that Wednesday is July 4th as well. So you could technically come to prayer and worship Wednesday and we could do that together. We could pray together. We could lay hands on one another and pray for healing. We can pray for, for God to do something great in this church or in our communities. We can worship God together. These are some of the purest environments that Northwood Church has, prayer and worship Wednesdays. Man, these are spots where people hang out after service and talk for a long time. This is such an important place to be. And I find that so few of you take advantage of it. 
a smaller percentage of you than I think you would even really like. You guys really would like to be part of that. I think you just miss it sometimes. And I just want to challenge you. Come, come be part of it this Wednesday. It's going to be great. So what's the outcome of a community that devotes themselves to, to knowing and teaching God's word, to prayer, to fellowship, to, to breaking of bread? Well, we see in verse 43, it says this, all, which is a reverent fear and wonder of the power of God of Jesus came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They had unity and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were generous. And day by day, two things were happening. They were gathering in these large groups. They were gathering in the temple and they were gathering in their homes, breaking bread in a more intimate, small group-like environment. That's why we create both of the environments that we create, large group environments and small group environments, so we can reflect this. Now, that whole day-by-day thing can, can catch us up. I know. It, it can mess with us a little bit. You know, you're like, hey, man, I got a calendar to adhere to. I'm a busy man. I'm a busy woman. I've, I've got, I've, man, my kids are running here. They're running there. And I get that. I, I understand. I got three kids. I'm, we're pretty busy. I understand. I do think that day-by-day would be difficult to engage in gathering in this current context. So what do we say then? I think it's every single chance that we can possibly get to gather together that we would not miss them and that we would figure out how to reprioritize these things in our lives so that we would actually see more chances and that we would embrace those as opportunities to rest, as, as opportunities to experience leisure and, 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 and family time, that we would do that in the context of what we see outlined for this Christ-centered community, that we would learn to reprioritize these things around the way that we do life. You know, we enjoy being comfortable and we enjoy convenience and we can get distracted really easily. And, and I'm totally aware of it personally. I've got a uh, standing dinner on Thursday nights right now that, that has uh, started to be an inconvenience, especially since it's every week, um, since February we've been doing it. And uh, the people that I'm, I'm doing that dinner with are sitting in the room right now. So it's a little uncomfortable to say that it's inconvenient. <laughs> And at times it's been uncomfortable. That's my family that I come from that's broken and dysfunctional, right? Remember those people? You know, we, we, we've made a lot of mistakes as individuals over the years. But now here we are and God's saying, no, I want you to gather around these things. And I want you to pray with and for one another. I want you to engage the word. I want you to eat and break bread and remembrance together. And, and you know what God's doing in my family? He's taking things that where conversations used to be uncomfortable and, and we'd be looking at the word and we'd be saying, yeah, but you don't look like that. And yeah, but, and, and, and there's a lot of frustration and bitterness and resentment from the way that things used to be. Now it's, oh man, I really need this gospel. I really need the grace of God. It's changing the way that my family engages with one another. And, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that that's God's blessing on our lives. And I'm pretty confident that, that this is the way that he chose to do it. He, doesn't, he hasn't given us another way to do it yet. This is the only thing that has caused this kind of growth in our lives as a family. And I think if we'll devote ourselves to the things of God, God will, God will give favor on our lives too. I'm not suggesting he's going to restore every broken relationship. That's not necessarily what we see in the scripture. But he can restore community. And he can restore a lot of other things in your life too. So I want to encourage you guys. Let's think about how to disassociate from these distractions in our lives. 
Let's think about how to, how to break away from these cultural conveniences and, and, and let's lean into this. Let's lean into what God's doing in our lives. I know this, being devoted, being devoted is not gonna earn you acceptance in the eyes of God. It's not gonna earn you any right standing with God. The, the sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross is simply what has earned that for you. Being devoted is a response to that. And it's a reasonable response. It's a reasonable response to the love and the grace that God has poured out on us. Man, let's, let's lean into these things. Let's devote our lives to these things. And let's see what God will do in our lives as individuals. I think some of us might have some next steps. Um, you know, you might want to grow in one of these areas. You might want to apply yourself to learn the word a little bit more, maybe to talk to your family about the word, talk with your friends about the word. You might want to Study, you might want to grow in that area or prayer or maybe start fellowshipping in, in different ways. Stick around, come early, stay late. You know, maybe participate in small groups in August. You know, these are, these are places where you can grow in these things. These are next steps you can take. Maybe God's convicting you about all of it. You're like, man, I need a radical overhaul. I've not been devoted to the things of God and, and, and I, want to, I want to lean in. You know, small groups is an interesting opportunity for you if you do want to grow in these things. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the back of the room, we've got a couple tables with some of our small group uh, coordinators that'll be back there and they're going to be uh, taking some information from you if you're interested in teaching or learning how to teach in a small group or if you're interested in even hosting a home so that uh, you can help create an environment where these types of things happen. Uh, man, we would love to, to connect with you and for you to be able to get some information about what that would look like for you, but that would be an incredible next step. You might not realize it, but you've got something in you that other people need and God is just waiting for you to lean in and devote yourself and take this next step. And, and, and you would be surprised how God will use you. It's incredible. You know, some of us can't take those next steps quite yet because there's one next step that's really important to take before we got there. And it's really taking a next step in regards to having that first characteristic of Christ-centered community that I mentioned, we've got to have the spirit of God in us. And that only comes through salvation. That only comes through surrendering our life to Jesus. And if you're in this room right now and you haven't done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if everybody would join me in prayer, I'm going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And we're just going to ask God, God, for those people that are in this room right now that, that do desire your grace they desire your forgiveness. They desire healing in their lives. They, they hear the gospel. They know what you did for them, Jesus. They know that you, that you poured your blood out on the cross to pay for their sinfulness, that you rose from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit and that you want to give them your Holy Spirit that will resurrect their lives that will give them a new spiritual life, but that will even resurrect the, the broken dead things that are in, inside of them. God, you wanna do this work in these people in this room right now. And I'm praying that for those that desire that, God, that they would, that they would find the grace from you right now to lay their lives down at your, at your feet, that they'd surrender, surrender it all. If you're in this room right now and you want that, you want forgiveness, healing, restoration in your life, you want Jesus. Just say, that's me, Lord, I surrender. I give you my heart. I put all my trust in you. Every hope that I ever had, everything that I could ever want for, any ambition I've ever had, now I, I put that all in you. I take from you forgiveness, salvation. I receive it. I receive healing. I also receive your Holy Spirit that's going to walk with me 
through this life that's going to continue to produce fruit in my life. It's going to continue to draw, keep me. It's going to continue to stir me and, and comfort me and guide me. I accept your Holy Spirit. I thank you. If you're praying that prayer right now, you're just now getting started in the journey of a lifetime. And Jesus is faithful. You just have to lean into him. Put your trust in him. If you believe those things, you're just agreeing in Jesus' name right now. For those of us that are in this room that are already part of the church and those that just joined this Christ Center community, God, would you help us? God, would you stir in us love and good works? God, would you stir in us a heart of devotion unto you that we would no longer be distracted? God, that we would be hungry and thirsty for righteousness that will be hungry and thirsty for the things that you have given us, tools by which to know you better, to make you known better, to know one another better, these things that you've given us, these environments, this community of believers, God. God, let us, let us be thankful and let us lean into it. God, I pray that to be a sincere conviction in us, God, and that we would, that we would throw ourselves into this life that you have given us, this changed life. I thank you, Jesus, for effecting this great change in our lives. And we will live boldly. We will live courageously. We will live humbly, giving you honor and glory and praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give it up for God right now. Northwood Church is one church with multiple locations. Uh, we have locations in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, and we'd love to see you there. If you enjoyed this message and want to get more info on who we are, just head over to northwood.tv. And once you're there, uh, you can check out all of our past sermons, all the things that we're doing in South Mississippi, and uh, even give to support those efforts of reaching more people. Be sure to connect with us on social media and to stay up to date with everything happening around Northwood Church. Thanks for watching and hope to see you soon.